What is going on, everybody? P4C, the podcast, coming to you Wednesday evening. I just had my evening snack, cheese quesadilla. I am charged up, ready to go. I would say pound for pound. The most underrated snack and maybe just efficient snack as far as timeliness, satisfaction. Cheese quesadilla. You get some butter, olive oil, tortilla, and some cheese. I do the the chihuahua cheese, the Mexican cheese, but of course cheddar is always good. You fire that up and it's like, boom, two minutes. You got an awesome snack. And I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk about Russell, Peyton, that dynamic. I know Justin Fields had some comments today about the Bears. There was also some other things going on at Hallis Hall. So we'll touch on that. We got the Rams trading uh, Cam Akers to the Vikings for next to nothing. One of the top backs in the league at one point. Big part of their Super Bowl run against the Bengals. Uh, got a lot of NFL Padres. Another uh, damning piece by Ken Rosenthal in The Athletic. We'll touch on all of it. It is episode 121 of the podcast. I know there's been several times Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers, I've gone into it ad nauseum. Eli had the better situation, and he executed, and he deserves credit for winning two Super Bowls with the Giants. I contend, had they not done that draft day swap in 2004, Philip Rivers would have done just as well. I'm not saying Super Bowls. Those are more, not going to say fluky, but so many variables go into a Super Bowl champ than just the quarterback. Everybody thinks it's solely because of them. But Philip Rivers never had the environment. He never had the situation that Eli had. So when I heard what Justin Fields had to say, I've made it known. I don't think he's the guy. I don't think he does a lot of things well to play quarterback in this league. I definitely think what he was saying as far as the offense, he, he was saying it without saying it, that the offense is not tailored to his strengths. I've said that as far back as 2021. I agree. I'm with him. Totally think he is 100% correct there. So, obviously, Justin Fields thinks he can play quarterback in this league. So, if I were him... I get when he walks into Hallis Hall today and he sees that they haven't won a game since October. In week one, Chase Claypool, his one of his new star wide receivers along with DJ Moore, is loafing on multiple plays. It is across the entire internet. Good morning football. Kyle Brandt is calling him out in the morning, first thing. It was like the lead off to their show, I think. And next thing you know, the FBI is raiding the facility because the defensive coordinator is involved in drug trafficking or maybe even human trafficking, something so messy, God knows what. He's now out of the building. If you're Justin Fields and you see that along with the fact that the offense isn't playing to your strengths, I can see where he calls out the coaching publicly. And he does it in a kind of coded, under-the-radar way, so he doesn't seem like a horrible teammate. If I'm Justin Fields, and I feel like I can 
be a playmaker at QB in this league, I might have to go this route. I got a defensive coach who all of a sudden is thrust into being a defensive coordinator at week two. So now he can't be the head coach. It was suspect if Matt Eberflus could even coach to begin with. Justin Fields has to be looking around and saying, can I get any help here at all just from the organization? You have to remember, too, that Ryan Poles, he didn't draft Justin Fields. So he's obviously looking at this from a evaluation standpoint if he wants to keep him next year or go with another player at the position. So when I heard the comments today from Justin, obviously I don't like that just from a, a teammate perspective and you know his coaches, his coaches won't like that. But if I'm him, I totally get if this is a calculated move to kind of put a little pressure on the GM or the head coach to think a little hard about the October deadline that's coming up in just under 40 days. October 31st, Halloween, maybe it's November 1st, I, I don't know, it changes uh, by a day or two each year. That's going to be the trade deadline. So maybe some team who's struggling or if they listen to the podcast here, if they're a, a, a strong team like the Ravens or even uh, maybe the Browns or any team that has a set quarterback who can can make passes from the pocket, maybe they'll be interested in having him as some somewhat of a weapon, a wide receiver running back. I'm sure Justin just wants to get the hell out of Chicago at this point because this thing has spiraled and it has spiraled fast. And if it gets any better, it would be a surprise. I think we all have those moments when a pal texts you to hang out and grab beers or go out and get food. And you really like the friend. You haven't seen him in a bit. You want to do it. You want to grab wings. You want to grab a burger, a couple Budweiser's. But you just went out the night before or earlier in the week you paid for dinner for your in-laws and it was a $400 tab. And you're just thinking, mm, really don't want to do that right now. It just wasn't good timing at that point in time for your buddy to reach out and, and link up. That is somewhat what I'm seeing here with the Peyton Rust dynamic is that this entire idea that they hate each other or they're not destined to actually coexist or even work together exactly, I, I don't buy that. When you have a Hall of Fame player, because that's what Russell Wilson is. That's the trajectory that he's been on. He's going to have to right the ship here and get back on track. But that's where his career was when he left Seattle. Sean Payton, Super Bowl coach, Bill Parcells, everybody agrees. Offensive, ingenuity, it, it's all there. He's a Hall of Fame coach too. So it's pretty rare that you have that combo connected and on the same team. It's even rarer that the two choose each other. Obviously, Russ didn't choose Peyton necessarily, but Sean Peyton interviewed for the Broncos job, and he accepted it. He wanted to also take a look at the Chargers. He interviewed with the Texans, but he chose to, to take the job. So it's very difficult for me to believe that Sean Peyton would already be out on Russell, and Russell obviously is trying to revitalize his career. I don't think he's exactly going to be out on the head coach after two weeks. They've lost two games. 
it probably feels like the sky is falling after last season too. But this Seth Wickersham piece, I think, has put goggles on folks in thinking that it's just going to be a car crash at some point. I don't believe that. I know Sean Payton's a hard ass. He's always kind of been that way. I don't think a lot of people knew that until they read Seth Wickersham's piece. I did. ESPN, it was last week. It was good. He spends time with Sean Payton over the course of the offseason, even into training camp. It was well done. But I think people are kind of coming away with the idea that Payton's a hard ass. He's grumpy. He's hard to get along with. He doesn't have any patience. That, that That's not true. He's had plenty of things that he's had to deal with, and I don't hear of any former players having any issue with him. Michael Thomas is like the one and only situation. And even that wasn't even all that bad. So I understand Russell's trying to get back on track. Peyton obviously wants to prove that he can turn around another organization as well. Why would Peyton choose this destination if he wasn't in on the quarterback? The quarterback is signed for a guaranteed number of years for the next two seasons. He he doesn't want to risk that. So I think people you know, have these blinders on just because of what Seth Wickersham wrote, which again, I've talked plenty of shit on him for the Brady pieces. I think he was out of line there, but he's a Mizzou grad, big journalism guy. He does things the right way. He's got great investigative uh, tactics and and he, he digs deep into the stories. He's well done. But I think this is kind of fogging everybody's view here. And you just got to take a deep breath and understand Russell has... Huge motivation to turn things around. Sean Payton has huge motivation to do well in a pretty much loaded conference as far as teams and quarterbacks and coaches. They're not just going to pull the plug on this immediately just because they've they've had a couple of bad games. So I still think the Broncos probably will take a year to get things on track and make the playoffs, but I do expect to see some progress and I'm not on board with this idea that this is going to end in a split between the head coach and quarterback. We're in the final stretch of Major League Baseball. The field, it's not set, but a lot of things have already played out. The Cardinals are eliminated. Braves have won their division. Dodgers have won their division. The Brewers are in full control of Milwaukee, or uh, of the Central, excuse me. And the Cubs, they're in the wild card with Cincy and Miami, San Francisco, Philly. Um, I'm missing one there. But we're, we're kind of in the final stages of all this. Before postseason play, it's going to be awesome. I love when those afternoon games come on on a Wednesday. It's chilly outside. They got the sleeves on and the intensity of each pitch. It's going to be phenomenal. The Padres will not be there. And it's been another huge disappointing year. So that means that the Athletic has to write another postmortem on their entire operation. They did it in 2021. Then they turned around and made it to the NLCS. Everybody forgot about it, but now I guess it's back. So everybody thinks that it's you know time to blow it up and put dynamite to the entire San Diego operation. And I push back on that because... They just made it to the NLCS. If they were winning games, none of this would be talked about. And that's exactly what they did, 
as recently as last year. So A.J. Preller, Preller, the GM, is getting thrown under the bus because he's too intense. He wants workouts before the game. He wants a fungus hit and guys to be out on the field, whereas the coaching staff and some of the players want it to be a lighter load. They don't like that Preller is down in the dugout and in the clubhouse before games, and he has you know his, uh, his cronies down there in the clubhouse as well, who the players don't know personally. They don't even know him by name. They think they're spies from the front office. But all you have to point to is last season and how everything was good and gravy. Machado signed an extension. Jay Cronenworth signed an extension. Tatis obviously signed that extension. All these guys want to be in San Diego. Bob Melvin has won games. He's won games in this club. This team isn't all that different. All you have to look to is the 0-11 and record in extra inning games. Of course, there's only two wins on the year in one-run games. The Padres are going to be a good club next year. There's no way they're going to be this bad. They have Juan Soto, Xander Bogarts, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado. Blake Snell obviously is leaving. They have you Darvish, though. They had Joe Musgrove. This is a star-laden team, and obviously they're in a tough division, but you play less division games than ever before. This is just a coalesce of the worst possible outcomes happening during the same year. So when you look at another investigative piece, and I'm not trying to, to knock down the journalism folks, not trying to knock down Ken Rosenthal. He's obviously on Fox Sports. He does a hell of a job. But this is looking at it, despite the fact that the same crowd just won 100 games last year, took down the Mets, took down the rival Dodgers, and were on the doorstep before Bryce Harper hit the home run last year to the World Series. So I'm going to pump the brakes. I think they're going to spend more money. I think Peter Sidler is definitely all in on A.J. Preller. He is giving him his wallet. He's saying, sign whoever you got to sign. I want to be the guy that brings a championship to San Diego. And frankly, with the way they're spending and the way they've evaluated talent, I think they're going to do it. So quite a few teams have to really take a hard look in the mirror after two weeks if they have still not won a game. And currently there are nine teams between the AFC and NFC that have not won a game. And all of them are in a little bit of a different situation. The Texans, the Cardinals, Panthers, Bears, you know, they all are no surprise that they're winless at this at this point. But the Patriots, the Broncos, Vikings, Chargers, they were expected to not be a total disaster this year. I don't think it's a shock that they're 0-2. But the number one team here where it is scratch your head, eye-opening, is the Cincinnati Bengals. That calf injury, it's why I didn't choose them to make the playoffs. I have the Browns winning the division, Steelers making it as a wild card. That obviously doesn't look too great, but again, two weeks here. And it's a different situation for the Steelers than Cincinnati. This calf issue is the root of the cause for Cincinnati. They rushed Joe Burrow back. I thought it was a little weird. They weren't saying anything at the beginning. When he injured it, 
Zach Taylor just said he'll be out several weeks. Didn't want to elaborate any further on it. I thought it was weird. Leading up to the game, we still had no idea on his status. They were a little too quiet about the whole thing. And then after week one, you know, they had an opponent in Cleveland that, you know, was pretty good. They didn't do well offensively. They were facing a a really talented defense in Cleveland. So you, you give them a bit of a pass. But then they play Baltimore and you drop to 0 2, first home game of the year. It's alarming. It is very alarming. And so the only way they get back into this is if they even expose Joe Burrow even more to getting hit once again. Because they're going to have to throw their way into games if they're going to be playing from behind all the time. They already have a suspect offensive line. They paid a lot of money to this line. They got some talent, but they haven't really protected the quarterback all that well in the past. And he's got an injured calf. So with where they're at and how they actually improve, it's actually putting him more at risk. And he's even no sure thing to play, according to Schefter, this Sunday. So it is very alarming for the Bengals. The Patriots, I think this is a build-up team. They are not constructed to really fire out of the gate. I think this will be one of those teams that really starts to pull together in early November, Thanksgiving time, and they take that wild card. Again, got the Bills taking the the East this year. And the Chargers, yeah, they, they just don't have a head coach. We're, we're really seeing how the whole Brandon Staley situation is playing out. When, you know, the whole media love fest with him being a great communicator and being transparent and talking X's and O's with them to give them a little. The media eats that shit up, but not everybody's Sean McVay. Not everybody can do that and be a kick-ass head coach. That's what Sean McVay is. He's great with the media, and then on Sundays he kicks ass, takes names. The other guys that just try to be real savvy and, and try to give the media something without giving them anything, but also trying to be friends with the players and say the right things at the podium, those guys typically don't work out. Look at the longtime head coaches in this league. They're pretty grumpy. They're pretty no-nonsense. They're pretty sharp and curt and to the point. John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin, Bill Belichick. When you get older, Bruce Arians is another. He's obviously out of the league. When you get older and you get some experience and you get some wins under your belt, you'll notice that a lot of that has to do with them being about coaching the team and worrying about practice. Brandon Staley is worried about what his image looks like. And it's doomed him, and I, I don't see how he survives this season. The Spanos family might not let him go because they're cheap and they don't want to uh, pay someone to not be there. But they hired Kellen Moore, and maybe they want to give him a an interview with some regular season games. So it, he's all but dead in the water, if you ask me, and I don't see the Chargers really going anywhere with this season. It's funny, Saturday evening, you know, Saturday's typically a big yard work day. 
this past week, I was cutting off tree branches with my dad at the house here, getting up on the ladder. The chainsaw was going. Um, actually averted a bit, a bit of a crisis. My dad actually fell off the ladder from one of the branches swinging down. But luckily I was there spotting and I caught the little guy and he, and he's okay. More so I broke his fall. He, he did end up falling along with my, myself, but everybody's okay. No broken shoulders or any aches and pains or uh, concussions or anything. But Saturday's a big yard work day. I watched the Tigers. I'll check in on the big game of the week, college football-wise. I watched so much football on Sundays that, you know, really, Miss Taylor, that's enough football during the weekend for her. So Saturdays, it's chores and date night and everything. But at 11 p.m. Central Standard Time, St. Louis time, I tuned in to Colorado and Colorado State. And never would you think that you would want to tune in to a CU Boulder and Colorado Springs game on a Saturday afternoon for college football. Usually it's SEC, it's USC in the Pac-12, Clemson on the ACC, uh, maybe a Big 12 game. No, you want it. Well, this is Big 12, but Big 12 Oklahoma, Texas. This time you wanted to look at the soon-to-be again Big 12 member in Deion Sanders squad in the Buffaloes. And really... With Dion, it's no surprise that he's having success. He's had success everywhere that he's gone. I think the only thing that's different, and I haven't heard too many people actually put a finger on it, is that his presence has just been so much more pronounced and so uh, flashy that people think it's totally different for college football that a head coach is the rock star when in actuality, when you think of like coach Snyder at K state, uh, uh, the Sooners and Bob Stoops, Nick Saban, Alabama, even you can go back years and years earlier. Uh, Joe Paterno at Penn state. Um, who's the old guy, Lou Holtz. That's the way college football has always been. It's always been about coaches because you're selling the program. Nowadays, what guys are doing, the C, uh, the Colorado State coach did it before this week, is he's talking trash in the press conference. He's trying to hype up the game around his program so then kids who are 16, 17 years old see that on, on Twitter, on X, or on TikTok, and they think, hmm, I think I'd like to go to CSU. So it's always been part of college football. that The head coach has to be a rock star. They are a salesman, along with X's and O's on Saturday. I think what Dion is showing is that he's just way more personable. He's way more one of his players than maybe the other coaches. The other coaches had a presence with the public. And Dion has that too, but he's really buddy-buddy with his squad. I know there was that clip of him not knowing the center's name. I, I, I give him a pass on that. I think that was uh, Jason Whitlock trying to stir up trouble, trying to point out something that's not even there. Deion Sanders knows who his center is. The press, the 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 uh, individual asking the question, it just caught him off guard. So I, I, I'm not buying that at all. I'm giving prime time a pass on that one. 
What he's doing, though, he's looking young. He's looking cool. He's got the cowboy hat. He's got the sunglasses on. But he's rubbing elbows with his players. He's one of the guys. And I think that presence is what's different about him. And it's also what I think is going to make him a rock star head coach in college football for years to come and might be at Florida State if they have a disappointing year. He obviously went to Florida State. They're a loaded team and they're doing great. But if they have a disappointing season and he continues this rise at CU, you bet your bottom dollar they're going to be calling his phone to go back to Tallahassee. So we're gearing up for the 49ers home opener Thursday night. They host the Giants. They're coming off a very impressive, huge first one of the year. Came back in Arizona. The Cardinals stink. But nonetheless, if you're down 20-0 at halftime against an NFL team, you end up winning the game, hats off to you. Daniel Jones made some plays in that second half. They got back on track after being shut out for six quarters to start 2023. However, I go into this game looking at one side where you have Daniel Jones, $35 million. The Giants did not want to let him get to free agency. They did not allow him to interview with other teams. They wanted to sign him before free agency period began in March. They did that. Now, on the other side of the field, you have Brock Purdy making $800,000, cap hit of $800,000 or maybe even less than that. The 49ers have continued to draft and develop quarterbacks. They took Trey Lance number one. It didn't work out. They traded him. Good for them. Shouldn't have done in the first place, but good for them. They continued to draft at the position, much like the Patriots, Ryan Mallett, Jimmy Garoppolo, the Packers. They have Brett Favre. They still drafted Mark Brunel. They still had Kurt Warner on their team. There are organizations that understand Philadelphia, Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts, another one, that understand you have to continuously be drafting and looking to upgrade this position. That's what Bill Walsh did. That's how we landed Steve Young. He's the one that also liked Rich Gannon. Rich Gannon obviously didn't turn out to be anything until the Raider days. But good organizations understand you always got to be in the business of trying to develop a quarterback. So if there's an injury, if the play drops off, if the guy grows unhappy for any sort of reason, that you have someone in the on-deck circle ready to go. And I just can't help but think, a team that has got a rough start of the season. They won the game, but you get shut out for six quarters. That's cause for concern. And now your star running back is hurt, and he's not going to be playing. Your left guard, your left tackle, he's not going to be playing either. And you're going up against the 49ers and Brock Purdy, a guy that they got with the last pick in the draft. Does that not make you stop and think if you're Brian Dayball and Joe Sheen of the Giants, who's, you know, done some really good things, a lot of great things. You got to rethink how you're going about this. They got scared. They signed Daniel Jones, who's who's a nice player. I don't even hate the player that much. I hate him at $35 million. He is going to be what drowns the season and drowns future games for this franchise because he's making too much money. He's eating too much of the precious money that you have. They have to get into the business of drafting, evaluating, taking flyers on undrafted free agents, the waiver wire. If you want to be good, sometimes you got to say no. That's all I'm going to be thinking about as I watch this game 
tomorrow evening. Thank you so much for choosing the show. Please remember to follow, subscribe, review, five stars if you're so inclined. Tell folks about the show, number one. Please tell your friends, your family about what we're doing here on the show. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much for choosing the podcast.